0: a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey everybody, this is the Other People Podcast. Just last week, I celebrated 600 episodes, and so I thought that it was time to use a new theme song. And I thought I would tell you so you're not surprised when it happens. I don't want you to feel confused. Are you ready for this? I had a on a ship on a I had a crisis, I will not be I told you that. Hello. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to episode 601. Here we are. This is the Other People Podcast. I'm Brad Listy here in Los Angeles. Thanks for tuning in. I have Belen Fernandez on the program today. She is the author of a book called Exile, Rejecting America and Finding the World. It is available from OR Books. It is the official September pick of the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. The TheNervousBreakdown.com is my online culture magazine and literary community. It has its own monthly book club. I interview book club authors on this podcast. If you would like to join the club, just go to the nervousbreakdown.com. So uh, Belen Fernandez has lived a very interesting life and has written a very compelling and uh, challenging book. Once again, it's called Exile, Rejecting America and Finding the World. Belen left the United States at age 21. She essentially quit America. And her book is, among other things, a stinging critique of American imperialism and there is a fearless, uh, fearlessness to it and a biting wit. So I enjoyed it. It's like I said, it's a challenging book and we had a great conversation over the transom. Belen is currently in, I believe Albania, though she is always on the move. That conversation is coming up in just a moment. I do want to say a few words about the new theme song. After 600 episodes, I figure, you know, it's time. I've had the, uh, the other one for a long time. I know we all fear change. I know we get attached, but, uh, I think it just feels like a good thing to do. And, you know, to be honest with you, when I started the podcast, Kill Rockstars, a record label, they had uh, up on their website, you know, a list of tracks that they explicitly said, like, you know, you can use these, these tracks for your podcasts if you want to. So that's why that's where I went and got the tracks. And, uh, recently I went and checked their website and they, they no longer have that statement up. So I was like, oh shit, you know, I want to be respectful and I don't know what the situation is. So I just figured in the interest of, uh, safety and, uh, manners that I would just, you know, give the show a slight makeover. I hope we can live with that theme song. I want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, to episode 600, my conversation with Sarah M. Broom Last week was a a pretty big one for the show. We uh, shattered the single-day listenership uh, record for the program on consecutive days. It was wild. So a lot of people tuning in, really appreciate it, and look forward to whatever comes next. 600 episodes. In the Rearview Mirror and more ahead, starting with today's conversation with Belen Fernandez. Uh, Very excited to share this one with you. Her book, again, is called Exile, Rejecting America and Finding the World. It is the official pick of the Nervous Breakdown Book Club for the month of September. Here she is, folks. This is Belen Fernandez.
1: I was briefly employed in Alston in an office there uh, post-graduation and i quickly realized that this was not um, sustainable so i decided to uh, pursue certification as a teacher of english as a foreign language and went to the greek island of crete to get uh, certified as such as one does there i met a polish girl called amelia Um, She had emigrated to the States with her parents when she was about 11 or so, Um, and she was another student in the course. Um, So we quickly realized that we were not actually in need of these teaching skills and could instead spend our time hitchhiking um, and doing other more enjoyable things. Uh, So from 2003 until about 2009, we were just hitchhiking Around we hitchhiked to Poland, uh, Spain, hitchhiked from Spain to Turkey, to Lebanon, or Turkey via Syria to Lebanon. Then we moved over to uh, Mexico where we spent about, well, several months hitchhiking, um, Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador. We were occasionally employed as in southern Spain when we worked in an avocado packing facility Um, but let me, let me, let let me, let me
0: me interrupt you. Like, how do you afford all this? I think people at home, people at home are going, wow, this sounds great. You're hitchhiking, you're living (laughs) abroad, you're moving from country to country. Like, how are you, how are you bankrolling this? Like, I, I guess you're working here and there and maybe you're supporting yourself through journalism or.
1: Now, yes. When we were hitchhiking, I mean, we, I mean, we were hitchhiking, so we didn't actually require that many, I mean many funds to sustain our our lifestyle um, because we would inevitably meet people who would pick us up on the side of the road and then invite us home uh, to stay with them offer us meals, drinks, whatever. Um, but we were intermittently employed. Like I said, like we packed avocados in Spain um, for a not so crappy wage. I think we got like three and a half euros an hour which was really not bad at all. Especially for 2003. Um, and no, now, now uh, I do, I write regularly for various outlets, opinion pieces um, for Al Jazeera, Middle East, uh, Jacobin, others. Because um, unfortunately, I'm not hitchhiking so much anymore.
0: Yeah, um, so where, where are you? You're based right now. You said you're in Albania. Um, and what's the name of the town again? himada himada, okay, so that's kind of like where you summer and then do you have other like like base camps like around the world where from which you operate or like what where, <laughs> do you do you, do you have like a rotation?
1: yeah, I'm actually only here for a, about two weeks. I was just in Turkey for a month before that I was in Italy for a month um, my parents live in Spain, they moved to Barcelona a few years ago, so that's a sort of base, but not really because I don't often. Go there I do have belongings in several locations around the world but I don't actually have a, a base at the moment and that's something that people always ask me or expect of me. It's like where is your where is home or at least where is home like where where are you based out of but uh, as of the current moment I am without any sort of any single base
0: okay and so like Um, what about stuff like you must travel pretty light like like in terms of your worldly possessions do you just have like a few couple bags worth of stuff or do you have stuff in storage i'm curious about like just the the logistics of living like this
1: (laughs) yeah no i actually have entirely too much shit, and it's spread between i mean i have stuff in spain italy turkey lebanon mexico i forget where else um. No, no, that's another problem because I forget where everything is. But I used to when we were hitchhiking. I, I was very good at, at traveling light, and I would just have like a small bag. Now I have this fucking rolling suitcase that is the bait of my existence. But
0: well, at least at least it has wheels.
1: <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. So wait, now, yeah. do you have storage garages in all these countries? Like, how does it work?
1: <laughs> no, I just I leave stuff with people, so with uh, family and friends.
0: Got and, it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm just wondering, you know, like I need a visual on like how, where all this stuff is kept. So um, do you do you ever long for a home? Like, do you ever long for like, hey, this is my place. I'm going to settle down. I'm sick of being on the road. Or do you like uh, being in motion?
1: Uh, I think the latter. Yeah. No, there are. I mean, there are instances in which I... Get fed up with living out of my suitcase and being constantly on the move and having to pack and unpack and whatever. Even though I realize I shouldn't complain because I'm really fucking lucky and, uh, that I can work from wherever. And yeah, no, I have. I mean, I'm, I'm obscenely blessed, so I, I shouldn't complain at all. But it does get, it can get tiring. Yeah. Um. I don't know, but uh. I'm still not ready (laughs) to settle. I don't know. I don't know if I ever will be there. I don't know.
0: And by the way, by the way, you don't need to. Like, I think there's this common assumption that like, this is the progression of life. And like, I sort of love that. I sort of love that you said, no, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to live all over the world and give myself this kind of life and this kind of education. Like, I don't know. I found it like invigorating that somebody is actually living that possibility.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, clearly, it's I mean, I'm as I said, I'm obscenely lucky. So my passport obviously gives me opportunities that uh, other people's passports don't give them.
0: Right, because you have um, a, you have an American passport, which basically yeah. pr- provides you entree into most all con- most every country. Yeah, exactly. Um, whereas somebody who yeah. comes from, say, Iran or something, like they might have a, a more difficult time traveling abroad
1: right exactly
0: um so okay so i want to talk to you about the decision to do this and how long it was with like how long you were thinking about it and how you conceived of it and how how, how whole it was in terms of uh, like the idea itself or if it was something you sort of arrived at gradually like once you were over in greece and hitchhiking with amelia who you know, I, I think functions for the purposes of your book is like this great sort of sidekick. Like I was very much in like a Thelma and Louise sort of, <laughs> like. Oh. like <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe that's a little bit too much, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I like the idea of this, like duo, this hitchhiking duo. Um, but I'm just curious, like when you were in, you know, school at Columbia and then you go to Austin and you're sort of working this uh, like unsatisfying job, like when did it dawn on you? Like, you know what? I want to get out of here and and start moving.
1: I mean, I don't think there was ever really a conscious decision to abandon the the U.S. and live this itinerant life. It just sort of happened. I mean, I I studied in Rome for my junior year, um, and that was wonderful. So that kind of gave me a taste of life outside the U.S. And then once, I don't know, once I went to Greece, it just sort of – that I never wanted to go back uh, to the States because it, I, don't, I find it <laughs> to be a creepy place and um, I don't know things, things are a lot of things are easier outside the countries uh, for example healthcare um, if I need to have anything done, I'm not going to pauperize myself for life, um, as would happen in the U.S. Actually, (laughs) last week, or no, maybe it was two weeks ago, I was in Turkey, and uh, I succeeded in (laughs) knocking out my two front teeth, well, not entirely, but most of them, (laughs) which was fairly traumatic, but it was quickly taken care of, and quite cheap um
0: so wait what happened may i ask what happened did you get into a fight yes.
1: or <laughs> no uh i was with some turkish friends and we'd had a lot of wine and one of them requested that i demonstrate a gymnastics trick on the concrete which i <laughs> stupidly did uh and fell um, yeah.
0: <laughs> well you know you got now- <laughs> you took one for the team you took one for the team it's what happened <laughs>
1: No, but now everything is sorted and I'm like I'm very happy with the Turkish dentist. It was a great experience.
0: <laughs> and it was and all. it was basically close to free.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Wow, okay. Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow All right so but you uh like i was kind of like laughing to myself as i was reading i was like wow this woman broke up with america like you broke up like you blocked it on social like it's over between you (laughs) right i mean like yeah i I, can't i
1: will i will never go back
0: you and when did it when did it occur to you that this was the case because i know you went to greece and you said it was kind of a gradual you know it wasn't some clean break and some like super quick finite decision but something that sort of dawned on you over time but like where were you and how long had you been away when you started to realize like, hey, you know what? I'm not going back like this is this is it for me. I'm going to live elsewhere.
1: Um, I don't think I mean, I think I always knew that I didn't want to live in the U.S., but I would still go. I think until 2015, I would still go back occasionally, maybe once a year, because my parents also lived there for a time and my friends. Um, but... I, yeah, I went in twenty fifteen, and I actually only went because I was supposed to be going to Guantanamo um, to report on this case. But then the, the trip was complicated by the fact that the FBI had infiltrated some, like one of the defense teams, and then they couldn't hold the proceedings as scheduled. So I was stuck in Washington for a month, and I and I guess that's when I really realized that like this. <laughs> place is really scary and <laughs> I don't I don't ever want to come back. I mean not even at this point I don't even pass through the air. I mean the American airports like even though they're a lot more convenient um, oftentimes than other airports. But I c I don't know. I've, I'm just when I set foot in that country I feel that like this place is totally alienated from human reality the human condition but it creeps me out and so
0: okay so let me stop you here yeah. because i want to know like i get i get having a sense of america and american culture going off the gone off the rails i certainly have some of that myself like especially lately <laughs> especially lately um it feels yeah, really it feels really overt and dangerous but um like was there something that the like your experience of being an american living in america as a child or as you got closer to adulthood was there were there like moments that like specific moments you can point to that wounded you or pissed you off where you were like fuck this place do you know what i'm saying like in in any relationship that goes sour there are usually like defining moments you know what i'm saying like oh wow that was a bad fight or like oh wow that was a you know an egregious oversight or failure to act or something like that. But like, are there specific instances in American cultural history or in your personal history that you can point to that really fed your desire to get out and stay out?
1: Um, from my childhood, I'm not sure. I mean, as I traveled, I learned more about America's nefarious role in the world, obviously. And that, you know, disturbed me. Even more as an American. Um, But one thing I always had in the United States and I've I've never had abroad, which I mentioned in the book, I was always suffering from this anxiety. Like I was always having panic attacks and diagnosing myself with all sorts of maladies. Um, Which I think, and I think the fundamental issue was that I, I was, I felt that if something were wrong with me, that no one would. Come to my aid somehow. Um, whereas abroad, I feel like uh, I don't know. I feel like, <laughs> I feel the sort of support network. I feel like there, like people will help me. People will care. I don't know. Maybe this is not rational, but. Um, I but no, just, j- just
0: for the record, I'm, I would help you if if you were like my, <laughs> my neighbor or something. I would I would help you out if you were in peril.
1: <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> that's very kind <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I don't know. So I just ended up feeling more at home abroad than in my own home um essentially
0: and so what is I your know if and that you're, makes you're, sense no it does it does make sense, and your family history in the states um you know is interesting as well because you come from a family with like military history. Um, oh, yes. gr- grandfather served, uh, the country, your brothers in the special forces, I believe. Right. So, yeah. um, yes, ca- yes. <laughs> can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Like how, and how that has informed your experience of America and how you view it? Because that's an interesting collision. Like here you are sort of this, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't want to mischaracterize you, but like, uh, I feel like your politics and like the politics of like Noam Chomsky might be, Closer in alignment than say um, you know you and george w bush <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> for sure <laughs>
0: is that fair is that a, is that a fair assessment i mean you could you could probably uh speak to it yeah, way, w- way better than I, but i mean like how does that like i like I come from a family where I have a lot of conservative uh family members uh, whom i love mm-hmm. whom I love dearly but uh it you know it's not always simple uh, because my politics are Um, decidedly to the left, I would get, you know, I would say on the, on the spectrum. So I know how it is to have to navigate those things, but can you talk a little bit about, you know, your own political identity and opinions about American um, militarism and imperialism and, you know, trying to kind of like navigate those waters with your family?
1: Yeah, well, um, My brother, yes, my brother is in the Special Forces, which, I mean, it came as sort of a shock to me when he decided a few years ago to pursue this path. Although, I I mean, in the end, it was entirely foreseeable because he spent the entirety of his youth um, playing with G.I. Joes. and, And as you said, like, both of our grandfathers were in the U.S. military and were constantly inundating him with all of this military paraphernalia. Like, he even had a camouflage keeping outfit at some point for who knows what reason um actually he read the book though my brother um, and I was quite surprised that that he didn't uh, disown me forever he even admitted to being slightly amused at certain parts Um, the grandfather's my dad's father he was uh, he served in Normandy Vietnam Korea but as I also explained in the book, he was—he still had a soft spot for like Che Guevara, Fidel Castro, um, you know, other f- figures who were associated with sticking it to the empire. Uh, whereas my mom's dad, who was an Air Force pilot, also in Vietnam and other conflicts, um, was was decidedly. <laughs> less nice of a human being. And uh, I think, yeah, it was the last time I saw him when I was forcibly dragged back to the U.S. in 2009, I think. Uh, And we were having a nice chat, and he informed me that uh, both Vietnam and Iraq should have simply been obliterated from the face of the earth. Uh, So it's been difficult to... Um, <laughs> deal with such family members. But actually, I mean, I've, I have i don't really interact with them anymore. I've just sort of written all of them off. Uh, there are a few cousins that I can still talk to, but it's, I don't know. When you feel more at home with, like, total strangers abroad uh, than with your own family members, it's, it's like maybe these... These relationships are not really necessary. Although I wish, I mean, I I wish that I that I had strong family ties because that would be really lovely. But um, it's not possible with, with people who are not <laughs> uh, <laughs> fundamentally human. It seems.
0: Well, what about like? I, I, it's hard. It's like, what if you just like? I think for me, it's like we just don't talk about it. You know, like uh, yeah. I don't see a lot. A lot of the the you know relatives I would probably have the strongest differences with. I don't live anywhere near. I, always, I see them, you know, like at weddings and funerals, yeah. essentially. So it's like, I think in those contexts, we just sort of like avoid it and we get along fine. But if we ever got into like a serious debate or conversation, I think it could get dicey. <laughs> yeah,
1: But are but are your relatives as crazy? I mean, would, would any of them tell you that like, yeah, we should have just obliterated
0: vietnam possibly yeah i mean you know like i i I don't i don't know i don't know you know and it's like um i I honestly can't answer because i've never gone there um and i haven't heard that so i don't want to presume but like if it were if it were to happen i wouldn't be like stunned Uh, and and i also come from a huge family so there's a lot of people so like mathematically (laughs) statistically you know you're gonna have some crazies in there um you know i think but like it's weird and complicated to me because i think that uh they're fundamentally good-hearted people e- even if yeah. they even if they might be deluded or or like have opinions that i think are like really way off the mark you know or or misguided or whatever um mm-hmm. and then there's also a part of me like this is the thing about you Milen and your work is that you have such moral clarity. Like you have such a, a like, it, or at least that's the way it comes across on the page. Like there's such a sense of you knowing your mind and having a clear view of things, which as a reader, I always appreciate because it helps me measure my own. I feel so much more muddy. I can complicate and gray anything. And I think that can be a strength sometimes, but I also think sometimes it's like a crutch or a weakness or just like a, you know, it's, it's a... I worry that it's like a lack of brain power, like processing power. Like, I feel like maybe people who are able to cut through, um, like yourself, see things, assess them, parse out right and wrong, and have like a clear view are simply able to fully process. Whereas, like, I'm getting tripped up on my own wires too much or something.
1: Well, you're talking about relations with your family
0: or? No, just, I mean, I, I'm talking more about, individual. I'm talking more about like assessing like, you know, geopolitics or, um you, you know, international relations or America's behavior in the world or how to deal with uh, family relations when somebody's saying something like, you know, Vietnam should have been obliterated, you know, what I'm saying like, um, I, I don't know, I guess I like my worldview tends to be really gray. And, um, I I guess sometimes, I don't know, I I guess sometimes I wonder if I need to have more courage of my convictions or I need to, you know, have better vision. Do you see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's something to be said also for recognizing that human nature is not always black and white. Uh, I'm not sure
0: yeah i don't know I, I guess like just as a reader um especially when somebody is is on the mark like i think for example um just as like one uh, big example in my life of kurt vonnegut who um you know was kind of calling out um a, a lot of the stuff that has come to fruition years and years ago and it was like the fiction i read as a child like i don't think anybody's thoughts or work ages perfectly, but I feel like his instincts were right on a lot of stuff. I think a lot of what he was saying has borne itself out. Um, and I think that's admirable because he had the courage to say it and to speak it in plain English, you know? Um, and he didn't trip all over himself. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely troubling, um, has made me a lot more knowledgeable on on the subject of america's crimes worldwide when we were in Lebanon in two thousand and six It was right after the israeli war um during which the u s was rush shipping bombs to the israeli military and so i mean i i mean then it was it was not possible to uh i mean i mean it really was black and white like the you know, the victims and victimizers were I mean, those rules were clear and the carnage that America had abetted. Um, I mean, there were entire sections of the country that were flattened, so you really couldn't be on the fence, like in, in situations like that. Um, but I was going to ask you, where were you, where were you thinking to escape to when you were going to, when you were considering,
0: leaving the US? Oh, you know, I did a semester abroad in college in Australia. And then after college, I lived in France for, um, you know, half a year. And I just had I love to travel. I always had the bug. And it's just like, I guess life circumstances overwhelm me like having to make a living and where would I go and getting a work permit? And you know, how do you actually make money when you're abroad? And I'm also old enough that it was like just before you could really use the internet to make yeah. a living. So I think now yeah. nowadays you can be on the move and be doing work and getting paid much more easily than you could at that time. And I guess I just lacked maybe the courage, you know? I think ultimately I just chose to to stay stay home and it's one of those decisions I look back on and I'm like, "Man, I should have at least spent my 20s just running around the world, you know, while I was yeah. Single and free, or whatever, but I don't know. You know, you can't look, you can't live in the rearview mirror. But it's something that um, it's something that I think. You know, I noticed in my traveling. Um, I always said in the aftermath of any big travel, it's like, wow, I just learned more in six months away than I learned in like two, three, four years of school. Yeah, no,
1: exactly. That's what I always say too.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like this. Com- it's, it's, a, really it's true. It's a very compressed uh, education. And when you take yourself out of your comfort zone and out of any kind of familiar physical context, um, I think it automatically enforces a level of heightened awareness on you. Like you pay attention more, Mm -hmm. um, and the world seems more vivid. And I, I suppose like the longer you stay in a certain place, the, the more that sort of fades, like as you become familiar with the rhythms of life and, you know, uh, then you just stick your thumb out and hitchhike to the next place, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you, so are,
1: are you still traveling ever? Or
0: uh, I have two kids, and my youngest son yeah. is, is, uh, he has physical disabilities, so it's like extra hard for us to travel. Okay. Um, but he's, you know, as he gets older and can move around a little bit more, um, I very much hope to like, I want that to be part of my children's education.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Um, you know, even if, and, you know, in a perfect world, like, I would be able to, even do a year abroad with them and put them through school abroad and kind of like have like a, a year on the lamb, um, as people sometimes do, but, you know, pulling that off logistically and financially is not simple. Yeah. Um, but one day, you know, then I'm, then I always say like, you know what, when I'm, I'm going to just stay in good shape. And when I'm like, 55, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> you're going to like, you're going to run into me somewhere. I'm going to be like, Hey, I made it. I finally got out here. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let me ask you, uh, like do people, I'm sure people have asked you this question before, and I'm sure there might be people at home wondering, you know, if you have such, um, uh, problems with America and if it, you know, gives you the willies and you don't feel comfortable with it, wouldn't wouldn't there be um some argument to be made for you to come back here and try to fix it and try to you know be an activist and to try to agitate to make it better and more just and more humane than to just simply abandon it?
1: Yeah. Um I don't think anyone has actually asked me that, but I have asked myself. <laughs> um and yeah, that is probably something that I should do. I don't know. Maybe I'm selfish and, uh, and I just prefer to stay away and uh, criticize and I don't know. Um, I mean to be honest I don't know what I could really do. I'm, I don't have much faith in, uh, <laughs> in my ability to affect any change on the system at the moment. Um, but I, yeah, I do I think, I I think I, that I go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, I think you I mean, I think in writing, I think writing, you know, obviously it, it has like a, a very measured effect. You know, you're not going to like solve the country's problems full stop with an, with an essay or something. But, um, yeah. I think every drop of water in the, in the ocean or, or, or however you want to put it can make a, a difference. You know, you get inside of people's respective consciousnesses and it can have an impact um, and it can be slow going, which can be frustrating, but I don't think it's nothing. And then uh, the other thing you could do is you could run for office, like come home and run for your local city council. (laughs) Oh God. no! (laughs) 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 Not going to happen. What are the odds of that?
1: No, No, I couldn't do it. Um, no. Oh <laughs> um, no! I have. I mean, leaving my extreme difficulties with, the, with the public speaking aside, uh, yeah. No, I'm I'm content to continue writing again. I mean, I do regularly write against America, but but I do it from from abroad. Um,
0: from Albania. Yeah, <laughs> at the moment. Okay, so let me ask um, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Uh is there do, do you do you have a political affiliation or if if pressed can you describe um where your politics are on the spectrum and are there politicians, American politicians that you like and who you feel comfortable supporting?
1: To be honest, not at the moment. Um I know that I, sh- I should support someone but i really, i mean i can define myself vaguely as leftist but i don't sub- subscribe to any particular ideology I'm, I'm just really disillusioned with the american political system uh in general i don't i mean i think that if you're talking democrats and republicans it often comes down to the same shit uh you know obama deported more people than bush uh, was a master of drone strikes um did lots of other terrible things so yeah <laughs> i'm definitely on the left but um
0: what about what about like bernie and elizabeth warren are they not far left enough for you
1: uh uh I would say no. <laughs> um, I know that even I mean people who are even further to the left than me will be supporting Bernie just because that's what we're supposed to do. But I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I guess I prefer to exist sort of outside the system, um, which I know is not really useful in terms of changing anything, but. <laughs>
0: So do you, let, let me ask you this, Like, because I'm I'm thinking of this uh, James Baldwin quote that I'm going to butcher and paraphrase badly, but he's talking mm. about, he talks about America and he's like, I think this was while he was expatriated and living in France. And he said, you know, I love America and uh, because I love it, I criticize it. You know, it's like, yeah. it's precisely because I love and care about it so much that I criticize it so much. And yeah. like, is maybe that a fair way to characterize it for you? Maybe like, the, the, the American ideal, as it likes to think of itself or that it is, you know, as it is often presented in an outward facing way, both to the citizenry and to the world at large, um, is, at such, um, is, is at such odds with like the reality? Like, do you feel is it possible right. maybe to characterize you as like brokenhearted and that you actually really quite love that ideal and just feel really bro- like brokenhearted and wounded by the country's failure to live up to it?
1: No, yeah, I, I wouldn't even say that I that I ever really loved America. Um, sure, I feel maybe maybe I maybe in some sense betrayed by this homeland that is supposed to be the bastion of freedom and democracy and liberty and all of that good stuff, and clearly isn't. Um, but no, I can't even. I can't even say that I criticize it out out of a love for the country. Um, even though, I mean, no, there are plenty of great humans that reside there, but the country itself is not something I, that I can profess to love. Or no, I don't think I ever loved it. Really.
0: But you had such good times together. <laughs> there was never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What about those times at the beach? At the beach and the, the, the barbecues on the 4th of July, none of it meant anything to you?
1: Oh, maybe, uh, maybe for a split second. I, I was moved by the patriotism and the, yeah, the patriotic songs and whatnot. Um, I don't know. Who, who, who do you support politically?
0: I think like Elizabeth Warren is who I'm most, yeah. most excited about. Like I, it's always like some, com, it's like some combination of like policy position and like whether or not I feel like they can win. Like I'm, I'm fairly, mm-hmm. I get fairly pragmatic. Ultimately. I just think we need to, we need to make sure it's not Trump or a Republican. Um And you know, we obviously have uh, a variety of choices, some better than others, but she she's the one who animates me the most. I feel like she would fight. I feel like we need to have a woman or a person of color emerge as the nominee in order for people to really turn out. You know, I think like yeah. from a voter turnout and excitement perspective, like if Joe Biden gets the nomination, I think it's a disaster. Um, I think it will it will be. I think a he's just not a good candidate because he's just like a gaffe machine with way too many questionable votes in his past. But B, I just think he deflates like a lot of the democratic voter base. Yeah. Um,
1: But you weren't disillusioned by Obama.
0: You know, I wasn't, I gotta be honest. I was not as disillusioned as you were, but I do think that um, there are legitimate places to critique him, you know, as there is with any president. And, you know, I think this is the thing, uh, Belen, is that there's really not a president or probably a politician in high office that if you go back and really start to dissect their behavior in office that you can't find at least a handful of things they did that like make your hair stand on end, you know, like it just Is it possible? Has there ever been like it was Abe, I mean, Abe Lincoln, you can go back and find Abe Lincoln's record and be like, Oh, my God, he was a butcher, you know, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just like, I don't know. At some point, I find myself wondering, like, does this just come with the territory? Like when you're in one of these jobs in high office, does, does it automatically compromise you? And it's hard for me to look at Barack Obama and michelle obama and not see two fundamentally decent thoughtful well-read people like i don't see savages and yet i hear what you're saying about the deportations there was a lot of it yeah. um the drone strikes and you know exactly. you know so it's like well how do you how do you reconcile all of it it's not simple to me um yeah so yeah. I mean, I think in some instances, I guess if I sat there and, and parsed it, I'd be like, wow, like that's deflating. Um, but on the whole, you know, when you started to do the full math, I think he was net positive. But you know, if you're going to land there, you have to be willing to accept some very unsavory facts. And that's a sure. that's a weird place to put oneself in morally, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. So do you, so do you have hope for America
0: in the end? I'm, I'm an, I'm a naturally optimistic person. I think, yeah, you know, I'm the
1: opposite. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I think like, I, I always feel like you have to, and I also have children, so yeah. I don't yeah. have, I don't have a choice. I can't just like throw in the towel and be like, fuck this. Like we're doomed. <laughs> it <Right. laughs> might scare my nine-year-old, you know? And, um, I think we have to be, you know, it's going to sound hokey, but I think we have to be the change we want to see. And we have to accept the fact that, you know, like the real kinds of, the kinds of change we, you know, a lot of us want to see takes a while, um, and you have to fight for it. But I think it's possible, you know, I don't think it's impossible for human beings to, um, organize themselves, uh, and, uh, in such a way that is saner and more humane. I think we see examples of it here and there, And this leads me to my next question for you um, because you're so well traveled and have spent so much time thinking about these, these uh, issues is like, is there an example of a country that you have traveled to that you do feel was well governed? Uh, Is there an example of a country that you feel like on the whole, comparatively speaking, has its shit together um, and that it's people are evidence um, of like, like the, the behavior and mood and general sanity of its people are evidence of um, the fact that it is, you know, conducting its its uh, civic business with real integrity and wisdom. Like, is there any place on the planet where it's getting done that you've seen?
1: I don't know. I don't think anywhere really. I mean, has its shit together entirely, um, which often has to do with the machinations of the United States, which likes to prevent people from having their shit together. Uh, so that they can do as they wish. But I mean, for sure, I've had glimpses of uh, positive <laughs> changes to society. I mean, when I was in, when Amelia and I were hitchhiking in Venezuela, this was years ago before Chavez passed away, I mean, that was quite inspiring to see um, just all of the benefits that had uh, been. Accrued to the poor masses, um, the free healthcare, and all sorts of other things. Uh, same for Cuba, but I, um, a definitive success story. I, I don't. I, I can't really think of one. I don't. I don't know. It seems that humans are always self sabotaging
0: um well and like chavez and castro like uh not necessarily clean as a whistle either right i mean like they i mean they definitely um have done some good things i don't think you can again paint with like a black and white brush but uh, there's a lot of oppression too isn't there
1: for sure no there was but often i mean these were responses to for example i mean in the case of Cuba decades of US sanctions and other sorts of antagonism. Um, so of course you're gonna end up with a sort of paranoid government that yeah okay, jails people on occasion that it maybe shouldn't be jailing but you have to view it within the context um, and then the I mean what what those t- two leaders managed to do for for people who had been so brutally neglected, uh, in the past, I mean, it was really quite amazing.
0: And it's, it's, so do you, do you feel that communism is the ideal government, um, like, uh, ideology or system of government in terms of, uh, outcomes for the broad expanse of people or, or is it democratic socialism? Cause like, it feels like we're at a moment, like an inflection point where, Um, especially as like the general generational shift is happening as baby boomers are getting older and dying and, Mm -hmm. you know, millennials and generation Y and Z or whatever it is are coming up. There's definitely more flexibility. It feels like around, um, you know, ideology and, and definitely more uh, flexibility Mm -hmm. around whether or not capitalism is the terminus, you know, which is how it's sort of been presented to us. You know, like, it's like, Capitalism right. is always—it yeah. it was like kind of this fixed idea, um, rather than right. like a yeah. you know a fluid a fluid system and you know sort of a stop along the yeah. way in in a world and in a life that is ever changing. So, I think we're seeing people start to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm not sure if this is the answer, and like, is this really working for most
1: right, yeah, m-
0: yeah, of Does us? this have
1: to be the inevitable state of the world? No, no. I mean, ideally, yeah, communism. But if it's going to be implemented. Properly, I mean, you can't always rely on humans to, (laughs) uh, you know, carry things out properly. But for sure, I mean, who who really should be opposed to a system in which the basic necessities of life are free? In theory, that's ideal, no? And I mean, the U.S. obviously strives to criminalize such thoughts. Like, why should anyone have free healthcare, education? et cetera. But I mean,
0: <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean like the Dalai Lama, the Dalai Lama says he's a, mar- a Marxist. I want to say, I remember reading mm. that, you know, he's like a Marxist, huh. like in terms of like basic political philosophy. Um, but I don't know. It just doesn't seem like whenever it's, tr- you know, people, it, you know, countries try to carry it out. It feels like the centrality of power is like just a recipe for disaster because people in power abuse it. Right. I mean, like you have, it's got to be democratically done and then there have to be, um, you know, there have to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the system has to be built in such a way that it can't be corrupted and it doesn't seem like we've gotten there yet, you know?
1: Yeah. But the same thing can be said for democracy and capitalism though. I mean,
0: no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. no. Just feels like power, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And money, money is always at the heart of it, isn't it? I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, like, let me ask you this. Do you think if tomorrow you won the lottery or you, let's say you wrote a book and it sold and it was like the greatest bidding war in history, (laughs) Like, Which would never happen. But come on, you never know. You never know. It's a rapidly changing world. Uh, but let's just say, for the sake of argument, that it happened. Like I sometimes wonder, like, wow, if I came into some giant windfall, like, what would I do? And like, not only that, what should I do? And it's easy to think, like, oh, I would redistribute it, or I would be the most generous person ever, or I wouldn't be corrupted. But it seems like very good people who have very good intentions can get very rich and get fucked up by it. Like, it seems like it's it's dangerous. <laughs> like, you know, like it doesn't, yeah. you don't even have to like want to be corrupted or you don't even have to have like wayward intent or like, you know, a twisted soul to have it happen. Like it can mess you up even if you're, you know, solid, like you go into it solid and with like best intentions, but then over time it sort of has this, I feel like it has like an amnesiac effect, it pulls you out of touch. Yeah. It pulls you out of touch with like the human condition, as you were sort of saying, I think earlier, when you were talking mm-hmm. about America, how it's just sort of like, you know, it makes you sort of insulated from human suffering because you're able to kind of purchase comforts that you know elude other people or are denied to them. And yeah. I, th- I think it can be easy for people of means to, um, to I think their their empathy can entropy. Am I using the right word there? <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, I think it I can, think so. it can weaken, but <laughs> yeah. your empathetic power can weaken in the presence of money yeah. because you don't have to deal with like, you know, especially if you're super rich, like you don't have to go through the airport security line. You don't have to, no. you know, wait for the tram or the train or whatever. Like you've got everything sort of done for you. And, and when you're that rich, nobody tells you no. Um, that's not, a, yeah. it's not a great recipe for being a, um, like a, a, a deeply feeling human.
1: Uh, Absolutely. No, but I, I mean, if I were to win the lottery somehow, uh, no, I don't, um, I, I feel that like, I mean, at the moment I have, I'm able to do everything I want to do, um, go where I want to go. I don't, uh, I don't have, I mean, I don't spend extravagantly i buy cheap plane tickets boat tickets whatever um don't really go spend a lot of money in bars. so i'm pretty content um with the amount of money i have so I, I, I don't know i don't i don't i don't think i could ask for more at the moment
0: but if you so if you won the lottery would you just like give it away would you under would you underwrite my podcast would you be willing to do that
1: sure (laughs) absolutely.
0: fantastic i could buy i could buy my own studio
1: (laughs) are you doing this out of your house now or where
0: yeah i'm in my garage that's where you have to do it yeah it's like the podcaster's way but i mean i should say it's a it's a furnished Uh -uh. like the garage has been finished a little bit it's not like i'm you know there was a a past phase of this show and of my life where i was like in a proper garage with like asbestos and wasps and you know, all sorts of things. But um, now I'm in like a a much more bougie garage. So I don't want to misrepresent my, my situation here.
1: And you've said you said you've done like 600 podcasts.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I don't know what that says. I don't know what that says about me, but I've done 600 podcasts.
1: That's impressive. So you've read 600 books.
0: Kinda. I, mean, I mean, I usually, yeah, but I mean, okay. I, I, the way I often characterize it to people is that like my life, it just feels like I'm perpetually cramming for a test. Like always, um, because <laughs> I'll have like three different people coming to my house. I work a full-time job. I have two kids. Um, so my life is like very full. Uh, but I, what is your job? Um, I work in audio education, so I'm a producer. Okay. I produce like audio education if that makes sense. It's like, I could parse it out, but it's like, it would take me like 15 minutes and people would be asleep. I think by by (laughs) by the time I got in, you know, finished describing it, but, um, it's a, it's a cool job. You know, I'm actually, I'm actually enjoying it. Um, you know, and I feel like it's a benign outcome. You know what I'm saying? It's like the thing that I'm making in the world is not toxic, which is nice. Um, so sure. you, you said you were getting around by like, you know, you're able to do what you want to do, get where you want to go. You mentioned buying like relatively cheap plane tickets or whatever. So are your hitchhiking days mostly behind you now, or is that still a method of transport?
1: They're mostly behind me, although I still do it on occasion. Um, like a couple, maybe it was two, three years ago, I did a solo hitchhiking tour in South Lebanon, um, for a week or two. Um,
0: and aren't you ever scared? I mean, have you, I mean, you've, you said you've had to like jump out of a car. I think you were like, (laughs) I think I remember reading that, right. You've had experiences that were a little dicey. Like that seems like a, for a woman, a woman on her own, like hitchhiking alone in South Lebanon. I think the average person at home is thinking, what the fuck? Like that's dangerous. Is it not? (laughs) Have you not put yourself in danger by doing this?
1: I mean I, I mean the the instances of having to jump out of cars were few and far between and like I mean you, what you realize hitchhiking usually is that the vast majority of people are really fucking nice and will go out of their way to help you in any way they can and that's really encouraging especially in this day and age when the planet is going to shit um, but yeah no there there were definitely some, some sketchy situations and jumping out of cars and whatnot uh yeah now i guess as i'm getting older i'm more scared um than i used to be i i didn't really used to be scared um and then i was in honduras after the coup in 2009 and that sort of (laughs) ended my bravery as it were uh i woke up one night and there was a man in my room and so i never slept again. <laughs> oh I don't know. I think now <laughs> I mean no, nothing happened like like so many bad things could have happened nothing happened to me so, so i shouldn't really complain about it but but it did <laughs> affect my ability to sleep. Oh. But now now i think i'm getting over it. <laughs>
0: yeah. So uh do you do you carry any do you like carry like pepper spray on you or anything? Like when you're hitchhiking do you have anything or are you just like uh
1: No, no. No. Wow. No, but really the vast majority of people are good. Um,
0: yeah, I hitchhiked. Yeah. <laughs> I hitchhiked for one summer. I hiked uh, the Appalachian Trail right after I got out of college. And uh, you have to do a lot of hitchhiking on that trail when it comes to, like, these little, like, windy, like, two-lane state road, highway roads or whatever in, like, West Virginia. Um, and I never, you know, I I got rides. It was never a problem. There was one where, like, a guy, yeah. a, a guy in a pickup truck had, like, a a carry-all, you know, like a cover over the back of the truck, you know, like over the payload or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, you got to get in there because I had my dog with me. And that was the sketchiest ride oh. only in terms of how it like played out in my mind. Cause I was trapped in there. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? I was like, I'm like, I'm locked in the back of this thing. Like if this guy wanted to like <laughs> take me to like the, uh, you know, the wood chipper in his barn or something, I wouldn't have much, you know much to say about it, but he was totally fine. He let me out. I'm still here. <laughs>
1: Okay. <laughs> good.
0: Um so okay, so you're in Albania right now. You're writing for which yes. pub- which publications?
1: Um at the moment I just write opinion pieces for Al Jazeera, um Middle East Side, Jacobin, Current Affairs and a couple others just freelance stuff.
0: Yeah. And that but that keeps um, you that keeps you fed. That keeps the lights on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for the moment. I mean, I, I'm sure it's not sustainable in the long run, and we'll see what happens to me. But at the moment, it's fine.
0: And how many languages do you speak?
1: Like none, really. <laughs> <laughs> four, four kind of. Yeah, I don't, even, I don't even speak proper English, as you can probably tell.
0: <laughs> but like for the, um, the four being like English, and then what are the other three?
1: Spanish, Italian, and Turkish.
0: Okay. But you're passable. You have to be passable. Like if you've been abroad this yeah. long. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And do you have a favorite place?
1: Uh, I don't know. Lots of favorite places. That's, I mean, I always go back to the same place in Turkey, the same place in Italy. Albania is really lovely. Uh, now I'm changing things up a bit. So I'm going to El Salvador in December for three months because I felt guilty about. Fucking around on the beach too much, or then I mean I'm not fucking around. I'm also working, but I don't know. I thought that I should perhaps subject myself again to like human reality and not swim
0: so much. Wait, there's Um, there's tons of beaches in El Salvador. No, I
1: know, I know, I know, but I (laughs) but but I won't spend too much time on them.
0: Right, right. You're gonna yeah, talk to me in December. You're gonna be in El Salvador. Like, well, I'm back on the beach here.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So no, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm figuring out some sort of like in-depth project I can do there. That
0: some sort of serious
1: thing, not involving beaches.
0: Not okay. You're not going to do like a travel guide, like the beaches of El Salvador. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, what What about books? Like, I mean, you you've got uh, exile out, but like, are you always kind of working on book projects or thinking of book projects? And are they typically? nonfiction like we haven't even talked about thomas friedman yet i I feel like he's like your he's like your arch nemesis this guy
1: yes (laughs) sadly um no i'm not i'm normally not ever thinking about books um like after the friedman book which was back in 2011 i was i didn't plan to ever write a book again because i felt that that was enough uh but then i ended up writing this one
0: and can for uh, people, for people listening, like Thomas Friedman is a is a New York Times opinion writer who's yeah. very very influential and, in your view, very wrong.
1: Yes, You uh, know, He's a foreign affairs columnist, and he's obscenely compensated for his opinions, uh, which are at worst tried and well, no, at best tried and at worst criminal. Um, Yeah, he's the person responsible. I mean, he was a huge cheerleader for the Iraq War. Uh, Appeared on Charlie Rose's talk show in 2003, announcing that the Iraqis, the Iraqi nation, should be made to, quote, suck on this, end quote, uh, for 9 11, which they had nothing to do with. Um, Just really disgusting things and really stupid, also. Just, I mean, his golden arches theory of con conflict prevention, according to which no country that um, had ever had a McDonald's would ever go to war with another country that had had a McDonald's. Although that was, this was like right before NATO went to war against 19 McDonald's possessing NATO countries (laughs) went to war against McDonald's possessing Yugoslavia. So Anyway, but he found a way around it and he was just like, Well, the fact that Serbia capitulated meant that like the Serbs wanted to stand in line for burgers more than they wanted to stand in line for Kosovo, et cetera, et cetera. Just really stupid shit. Uh and as I said, obscenely compensated. So he used to I mean, on top of whatever his New York Times salary is, he was making back in two thousand nine, he was making seventy five thousand dollars per speaking appearance, which is like more than a probably ever made cumulatively in my life um anyway very problematic figure
0: (laughs) well but i think i I gotta say here's my prediction you ready i think it's changing yeah Uh, i do i I mean i think there's uh, you know i don't think it's going to be some grand sweeping clean change that you know it's like here today gone tomorrow kind of thing but i do feel like voices like yours um I think of other you know here and there there are other uh writers and i guess what what would you call them pundits but writers and thinkers um of the american political left who previously would have been deemed like too radical for the mainstream press Mm -hmm. like i do feel like those voices are starting to inch their way into the conversation um and i think i can i can foresee especially if you know, inequality continues to be what it is and climate change continues to um, encroach on our lives and to continue to escalate undeterred. Like, it's just going to get to a point where we're going to have to radically rethink how we function as human beings. Like, it's the issue is going to force itself, right? I mean, I can't see otherwise how it's going to happen. Like, like we're going to invite catastrophe upon ourselves. Oh, I hope so. I mean, like, I guess that's the... You you hope that there's a catastrophe that wakes us up? (laughs) Or, or like, wouldn't it be... No, no, no.
1: No, I hope that... I mean, I hope that humanity comes to its senses before the world ends. (laughs) Because, like... (laughs) I don't know. I mean, mean, it seems that we're headed in the direction of doom. Uh, But it it would be nice if, if we could... Save ourselves,
0: maybe. Yeah, it would be. What about what about the climate march and that uh, Greta Thunberg? Are are you encouraged by that? Does that kind of stuff move you?
1: For sure. Yeah, absolutely. What about you?
0: Yeah, I was like, my daughter went out with a sign and like, yeah, like drew little pictures of the Earth and stuff, and it was like breaking my heart, but it was also, um, you know, to see the kids. You know, part of it is that like she's nine and it's just fun to like make a sign and shout. Like, I don't know how politically engaged she is at this age, but. Um, You know, certainly like the teenagers who are maybe waking up like their political consciousness uh, is waking up and they really understand the stakes um, in a more nuanced way. Like that to me is encouraging because, uh, you know, they're the ones who are going to bear the brunt of it and they know it. And, uh, you know, it's just it's also it it also I find it enormously heartbreaking and pathetic that we are being led by like a 15 year old girl, you know, yeah. That, that says that speaks volumes right there about the ineptitude and um, short-sightedness and greed of the so-called adults, you know, in power.
1: Yeah. No, I want to be hopeful. And, I mean, those sort of things do give me hope. But then um, in the end, like how – I mean, how are schoolchildren protesting going to, like, change this entire system? I mean, the Pentagon is one of – the top if not the top polluter on the planet so how do you how do you go about changing that i mean if america's not going to change its warmongering behavior bellicose behavior i don't know i don't know i want to be optimistic <laughs> but it's difficult
0: well you know <laughs> <For me. laughs> you have no but you you have a unique perspective <laughs> you have a unique perspective like not only just because you know you have your own political views or whatever but you also live um, a unique life. You know, you live outside the country and are able to see it through a much different lens than those of us who spend pretty much all of our time inside of it. And so that is why, um, I found your book so fascinating. And I, uh, I really appreciate you writing it and living the way you do, because I think we need to, if we're going to formulate new ideas about how we organize ourselves, um, and how we live and govern, then we're going to need to, um, you know, incorporate a lot of different perspectives. Um, and we're going to have to have people thinking in new ways.
1: Thank you so much. That really means a lot to me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I wish you well, and I'm, I'm a little envious. Do you have like a website or something where people can follow you around or you're just like, no, I don't want to be followed around. I'm happy to, be traveling around without having to give updates everywhere but like i sort of want to live like i want to live vicariously through you is there like a is there an instagram or something
1: no i don't have an instagram i don't have a phone uh but i have facebook
0: okay that's the one are you on facebook no i I thought i was radical i quit facebook
1: Good for you. No, I should also. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you can't, you can't do it yeah. all. You can't do it well, all. Billin. you know, you got to have at least some like, mm-hmm. you know, corporate weakness where you're like, I, I love the Facebook. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I know. <laughs> but what are you working on now? What is your new book? Uh,
0: I've That's been amazing. working, I've been working on a memoir forever about um, okay. like, just like family stuff. It's like my son's disability is like, uh, you know, this big trauma in my life. And so yeah. I've been trying to like write about it somehow in a way that honors it. And, you know, it doesn't, but also isn't too sad. Cause I don't want to just write like a, I don't know. It, it's like, it's, it's been a long struggle and it's one of those things that I would love to just like write about something else and just do like a, fun, yeah. like a funny book, just do a funny book, you know, like make something funny. But then when you sit down to write, it's just the thing that's always right there. Like how, how do you not write about yeah. it? You know what I'm saying? So, um, it may just be the case that I need a lot of time to process and to see how things play out and to like, you know, wrap my head around it. It's a big, it's a big thing in my life. So, you know, that is a long winded way of saying that's what I'm working on. And like, hopefully I get to a a place where I've rendered it properly. But, uh, you know, it's like the, it's like the white whale of my creative life.
1: How old is your son?
0: He's four. Yeah. So he's like four and he's like just taking his first like unassisted steps, like wobbly unassisted oh, wow. steps. Yeah. Um, but he's like, oh. you know, he's got to use a walker and he scoots around on yeah. his, on his butt mostly. But, um, you know, it's not, it's not simple. Yeah. God, I
1: can imagine.
0: So Ooh. it's, it's, it's hard to hitchhike in Albania when <laughs> you're, you know, when you're, you've got these kids, but, uh, you know, one day we'll get yeah. out there
1: absolutely i hope so <laughs> i uh, really
0: do well listen it's great to uh to talk to you and to meet you over the transom congratulations on your book i wish you well
1: thank you so
0: much um, i wish you well as a writer you know and in, in doing the work that you do and in, in producing whatever future books you might produce and and uh, articles and essays and whatnot and i also wish you safe travels
1: thank you so so much <laughs> this was really enjoyable i was so scared <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I, it was really, it was
0: really fun. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's good, to, it's good to talk to you, Belen.
1: <laughs> you too.
0: Okay, guys, that is uh the episode. What do you think? That's Belen Fernandez. Her new book is called Exile: Rejecting America and Finding the World. That is available from Or Books. It is the official September pick of the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. You can find Belen's blog at Belen Fernandez-Writings.blogspot.com You can follow her on Twitter. Her handle over there is at Maria Belen underscore F-D-E-Z Track her down. Belen Fernandez, the book once again is called Exile, Rejecting America and Finding the World. Go get your copy immediately. Thanks to Tiger in My Tank for the uh, interstitial music at the top. Right there in the uh, transition between the monologue and the main event. If you would like to write to me, the address is letters at otherppl.com. Don't forget about the Other People app. It's free. Go get it wherever you get your apps. If you want to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. This program is offered freely, hundreds and hundreds of episodes, all available for free. If you like the show throw a couple bucks in the hat you can also write a review over at iTunes that actually helps so uh, let's see here what's coming up Robin Page is my guest on Wednesday so stay tuned for that got a lot of good ones here in the uh, in the can so second week in a row with a Sunday episode I will be back in just a few days with more thanks for tuning in you guys I hope you're doing well oh wait this song is continuing to uh, play I got to think of something to say what do I got to do I guess I could just cut it off I'm the host of the show, I can do whatever I want.